going in a different direction. And I should say that's one of the biggest misconceptions that my clients have is that an employer needs to give a reason for a dismissal or has to have a reason. Right. It, it, it's like one of these things that all of us want to know, why did they fire me? Why did they fire me? From a, from a litigation perspective or practitioner's perspective, once it's been acknowledged that it's a without cause dismissal, then the only issue is damages at that point. So I, I, it's not that I don't care about the reason, but I have to keep telling my clients that the law doesn't care. to Justice. I'm your host, Heather Malarick of Merrick Law. My co-host is Evan Clark of Kahane Law. We're joined today by a very special guest, Kim McDonald of McDonald Advisory. Kim's a financial advisor and insurance advisor with Raymond James Limited. We are a Canadian podcast with a mission to educate Canadians about the law. We interview experts in law, mental health, and finance, focusing on the topics that create the greatest barriers of entry into the justice system. You can find us on YouTube, on our A2J podcast channel, and online at a2jpodcast.com. Um, I am really pleased to welcome today's guest, Mark Alexander Smith. Mark is one of the founding partners of Smith Thompson. He um, has been a practicing lawyer in Alberta for over 15 years and carries on a diverse and exciting general litigation practice with focus on personal injury, employment law, mental, medical and dental malpractice, construction and insurance litigation. Um, I had the pleasure of working with Mark early in my career at Weir Bowen, and I'm so excited that he's joining us today to talk about employment law. Hi, Mark. Hello, Heather, Evan, and Kim. Thanks for uh, having me on board. Uh, I just noticed in this lighting, uh, as I reached into my late 40s, I got these transition lenses, so it looks like my my lenses are darkening somewhat, but anyways, uh, I'll do my best to see through all this, but this is what happens when you get older, Heather. You start wearing transition lenses and... Uh, uh, <laughs> do you know uh, why I'm laughing? It's because I have the same thing and I think we've had this exact problem before where yeah, I... I, I just, I feel I like they make that. me look like an 80s serial killer for some reason yeah, because I'm wearing like, sunglasses inside at a meeting and it's weird. I don't know. Right. Well, it's good to see you again in the flesh, Heather. Heather and I did work in full disclosure at a firm of limited distinction. I think you already mentioned it. We were Bowen. Yeah. Um, I would have been, what, a four or five year call at that point. Heather, yeah, you are the call right. there, right? I did. Yeah. 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 So we, uh, that's our connection, mm -hmm. uh, certainly. So thanks for having me, everyone. It's exciting. We're excited to have you. Okay, so employment law, um, big topic. Um, it's something that I certainly don't know a whole ton about. So I'm really excited to be able to pick your brain about this. So um, maybe you can let us know, like you do employment law, it says on there. What does that mean that you do employment law? Are you helping employers? Are you helping employees? What, is, what does employment law cover? Yeah, I mean, principally my practice, um, uh, in the last 
five or six years has been dedicated to employees, although I do act for a number of employers as well. Employment law has been a real uh, hot area of practice. And I say that knowing that what that really means is this employment law comes into play when there's a bad economy. And so it's kind of a mixed statement because in, in part we're very busy and that can be lucrative for, for lawyers. At the same time, it's a consequence of the economy going into the crapper. And then you add to it a global pandemic and it just makes things a lot worse. So um, when the economy is very good, there is very little bread and butter employment law out there. And, and the reason for that is that um, employees, even if they get terminated, they just walk across the street and find a job for the same amount or even more. So we remember the time where, you know, oil was over $100 a barrel. And, and those were times where you wouldn't be that active as an employment lawyer. Uh, the caveat would be, of course, if you're doing union work and that sort of thing. So my work, I don't deal with union matters. That's involved with collective bargaining agreements and stuff. My bread and butter is dealing primarily with uh, dismissals and what to do. So on the employee side, I often get calls from referrals and people that call and say, hey, Mark, I got fired. I don't know why, but they've offered me this amount and a release to sign. Is this a good deal? Is this fair? Um, on the employer side, what I'm seeing more these days is, Mark, we need to get rid of a bunch of employees. We don't know how to do it. We have terrible cash flow. Uh, we need some guidance uh, to deal with the number of employees that we need to get rid of. Um, so that, that's pretty much the bread and butter of what I do. There are aspects of human rights complaints. There's aspects of what's called constructive dismissal and but really, most of my calls come from uh, people that know that I do this work with settlement offers. Are, is this a fair deal or not? And that really is where I do most of my work. So is it a fair deal or not, Mark? <laughs> well, you know, uh, what I will say is that because of cat, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be uh, fair to some of the employers that I'm dealing with. Often a lot of the weird things I see employers doing recently or lately is because of cash flow issues. Um, and so what happens is, is that where they would normally uh, maybe get legal representation before terminating employees, they're not. And so I'm seeing a lot of just frankly odd and strange reactions to employees that I never saw. You know, you see them once in a while, but it's it's really a weird and wacky world out there right now where certainly people need legal help. Uh, employers are, I think, stressed as well as employees. They're doing strange things. Um, and so, um, yeah, I've been very active in this area and uh, I don't see that changing in the next few years because our economy is going to struggle for some time, uh, mm -hmm. unfortunately. Mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. yeah. What would be an example of one of those uh, unorthodox type of things that has been popping up uh, lately? I'm, I'm curious. <laughs> well, for instance, uh, just absurd things like um, uh, a female employee goes on maternity leave and they get fired while on maternity leave. Mm. Okay? Just stuff that you would say, how are you, like, are you not talking to your legal counsel on this? Or um, someone that uh, an employer that terminates someone on the basis 
that they've resigned where uh, no such indication has been made by the employee. Um, or terminating someone for what would be clearly uh, a human rights infringement uh, while they're on disability, for instance. So someone suffers for a work-related accident, they're on WCB, they're on short-term disability, and they get terminated while on short-term disability. Those, those ones are so obviously clear. Even the people who don't know law to say you can't fire someone when they're on maternity leave, you can't terminate someone when they're on disability. We're seeing all sorts of stuff these days that, that just are, it's confounding. And I, the, the best I can think of, because employers, they're fairly, for the most part, some are quite savvy. They're, they're, they most In most cases, they don't want to treat their employees poorly. They're just perhaps not getting legal advice before making these decisions. Um, that's the only thing I can really figure is happening. And, it's, and it all flow, it's cash flow. Hmm. It's cash flow. Um, that seems to be the big issue for employers these days. Um, so I, I got a follow-up question for one of, for a few things that you said there, Mark. So one is yeah. um, <laughs> the employer unilaterally decides that the employee has resigned. Yes. So what's the context that that happens in? Like, well, yeah, they, they so, do something? yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I have a case. I won't say the names of it or anything like that, but I have a case where um, uh, someone who's been working for 30 years for the same company um, and who's had no disciplinary concerns has been a model employee, upper management, um, is six, getting into their mid-60s and indicated to, in a sort of discussion with one of the upper management people that, you know, he might consider maybe, you know, planning his retirement at some point. Um, that led to uh, an email from the HR department that says, we're happy to accept your resignation. Uh, your last day uh, of work will be August uh, 31st. We'll have a party for you. That sort of thing. Okay, so uh, um, like taking, that escalated fast. It escalated <laughs> very fast, and so um, look, uh, long-standing employees are what um, are a financial risk to employers for sure. When the auditors do their audits, they say, "Geez, you got an, you got an employee that hasn't taken vacation time in three or four years. That's all on the books." Um, these are headaches for employers potentially. And so I guess uh, I'm seeing some things that are what I would describe as strange and unusual in the last few years. And uh, maybe we chalk it up to COVID or cash flow or what have you, but it, it's, I think because we're, employers are really struggling out there and as a consequence, so are employees. I, I can't help but wonder like, how does that conversation go in the boardroom or, or in the owner's head when like, because if something like that happens, I think, hey, I wonder if if uh, we can just say they're resigning because they're like, I wonder if we can do that. Right. So um, just to backtrack to give you a little bit of the basic law is that if you terminate someone without cause, you must give reason, you must give notice. OK, and if you do not give notice like the old school working notice then you've breached the employment contract and the remedy for that is damages, what we call severance, generally speaking. And there are certain factors that a court would consider what a reasonable notice period would be in the circumstance. 
you know, your age, your length of service, the type of work you do, uh, that sort of the likelihood of you finding new employment. Those are sort of factors, what the court, they're called the Bartle factors. That is what a court considers in determining what a reasonable notice period is. But if an employer terminates someone for cause, so an, a, 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 an obvious example, uh, a sexual assault in the workplace on a, on a fellow employee, okay? Immediate cause, okay? Right. There's no requirement of an employer in that circumstance is giving notice or pay in lieu of notice, full stop, okay? Same if an employee quits or resigns. So employers, what I was, I've seen recently, they want to capitalize on a scenario where mm. it may be unclear as to whether they're quitting or resigning because if they can, they don't have an obligation to give notice or pay in lieu of notice. So the, you know, um, my cynical side is why would an employer do that? Well, so they don't have to pay them any severance. That's why. Right. Um, best case scenarios, maybe it's just a confusion. Maybe it's a communication error. But um, you cannot in Alberta, as with other provinces, discriminate as to age. Mm -hmm. So there's no more forced retirements at the age of 65. There are some exceptions to that, but... Generally speaking, you're not to be terminated because you're 65. <laughs> um, and so, uh, yeah, I just, you know, I, I'm just seeing having the, some of the weirdest things in my, uh, you know, I haven't been practicing that long, 15, 16 years, but it, it, it is a strange time uh, for, for employers, employees, and certainly lawyers handling this stuff, for sure. So another thing you mentioned, oh, sorry, Heather, I saw your mouth open, ready to speak. Go ahead. I'll keep she, was yawning, she was yawning, Evan. Uh <laughs> <laughs> uh, another thing you mentioned that I was hoping you'd uh, shed some light on is you mentioned the term constructive dismissal as something that comes up and people may not be aware of how that's like employers may not be aware that right. they triggered that. Right. So constructive dismissal is, is a uh, sort of its own little category in employment law. So it's a circumstance it would arise in these circumstances. I get a call from a uh, prospective client who's currently employed, so they haven't been terminated. And they say, Mark, um, I just got a letter that says they're changing my position, they're changing my pay, and they're demoting me to what everyone knows in this department is sort of where they send all the people out to, to the pasture. What are my remedies? What are my rights? Okay. And so constructive dismissal is a situation where uh, an employer will take unilateral actions to change the terms of the employment contract to such a degree that a court would dis consider it a dismissal, a constructive dismissal, even though the employer hasn't actually pulled the trigger to dismiss them. So the idea being is you, you cannot resign or quit a job with a gun to your head, if that makes any sense, or forced to do it. Um, and so constructive dismissal from a practitioner's perspective are often hard claims to make out. I would much rather it be you're being dismissed for no reason whatsoever. Here is what we're offering you. Is it fair or not? A constructive dismissal requires the employer in law from an evidentiary perspective to prove that the dismissal was warranted in the circumstances. But from a litigation perspective, you're, it, you're starting in a hole if that makes any sense. You're starting in the position that the dismissal was for cause and you have to get up and over that. Um, uh, 
And so that can be that can be difficult. Difficult. So we're seeing a lot of that in the context of mental uh, and being abused in the workplace, and management isn't doing anything about it. I've complained to everyone, all my superiors, and they're not doing. I'm stressed. I've gone on two stress leaves, and no one's doing anything. I don't think I can continue this. Um, and, and so that's a real tough call for a lawyer to make. It's even more difficult for the employee to make. But yes, there are circumstances where you are currently employed, but the court considers it tantamount to a dismissal, hence constructive dismissal. And if a court determines that it's a constructive dismissal, at that point, damages uh, can be sought from your employer. Mm -hmm. yeah. And would those be the same damages that you were referring to before, Mark, that it would be like notice or pay in lieu of notice? Or are there heightened yeah. awards sometimes for those situations because they're trying to do through the back door what they're not willing to do through the front type of thing? Right. Well, yes and no. The, the, there, are, there are a couple, uh, there's a very recent Supreme Court of Canada decision. There's, there isn't a lot of movement in the law. Uh, some lawyers would disagree with me, but it's not like criminal law where every every month there's a new decision that you got to pay attention to. In employment law, it's, it's a bit glacial in the changes that are made uh, at the upper end, Supreme Court of Canada. But there is a recent 2020 um, Supreme Court of Canada decision which reminds everyone that there are actually a number of different causes of action against an employer. So one is whether the reasonable notice, whether reasonable notice was given or not. Okay, and that's an assessment of those Bartle factors I talked to you about. So how long you worked, your age, all those factors. But there are, the court reminds us there are other causes of action. One is a duty of good faith, and one is a duty of honesty or fair dealing. So, so that in a situation where the constructive dismissal is so over the top, where they just have made this employee's life a living hell, you would be, in theory, in, com, entitled to be compensated not just for what the reasonable notice would be. So if you're a 20-year employee, you're 60 years old, that sort of assessment, but also for other damages which would fall into the duty of good faith or the duty of fair dealing, okay? Um, in addition, as you know, there would be the potential in very extreme situations for punitive or aggravated damages. But principally, the bread and butter of employment law uh, that most people are dealing with is reasonable notice. Is what they're offering me uh, fair? Right. And so I often get asked that question. And so um, it's one of these things where there's a rule of thumb, but it's not a rule of thumb, but it's a guideline by the courts. But essentially in Alberta, depending on your position, it's somewhere between two weeks to one month per year of service, which is what a court would determine as reasonable notice. I have to backtrack because we do have legislation in Alberta under the Employment Standards Code that sets out the minimum standard, the minimum standard. And most, a lot of employers and employees get mixed up with that. Mm. The, the common law works alongside. So an employer can't give less than the legislated amount but often a court will look at the Bartle factors to say, in this case, this employee should be given three weeks per year of service or four weeks per year of service, even though the code might say, you're only entitled to eight weeks for any employee over 10 years. That's, that's, that's the minimum. Um, so I often tell my clients, look, you're not gonna get much better than a month per year of service. So if you're a 10 year employee, 
Um, we can shoot for 10 months wages, maybe, maybe a year if circumstances are, are there. Right. Um, and there appears to be a cap, although I hate using that word, of 24 months. So it would be an unusual circumstance where a long-standing employee would ever get more than two months wages. Okay. okay. Two years. And again, this is in connection with without cause dismissals. Right. Okay. Right. Where, where it's just, we're going in a different direction. And I should say that's one of the biggest misconceptions that my clients have is that an employer needs to give a reason for a dismissal or has to have a reason. Right. It, it, it's like one of these things that all of us want to know, why did they fire me? Why did they fire me? From a, from a litigation perspective or practitioner's perspective, once it's being acknowledged that it's a without cause dismissal, then the only issue is damages at that point. So I, I, it's not that I don't care about the reason, but I have to keep telling my clients that the law doesn't care right. <laughs> at that point. Right. It, 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 now, if it's a dismissal for cause, now it does matter the reason. Mm. So the, one of the misconceptions I have, the clients have all the time, they call me, Mark, I've been a good employee for five years and I didn't see this coming and I don't know why. And they sent me this letter and I said, well, the good news is they, they're acknowledging that. It says right clearly on the letter, this is a without cause dismissal. We're offering you one month's wages. Right. You right. Uh, sign the release. Uh, so um, that is probably the biggest misconception uh, that I deal with is that an employer on a without cause dismissal doesn't need a reason. Is this doesn't different for unions? Does a union have a different way of operating versus non-union? Yeah, unions are so wacky and weird, Kim, I don't even touch the stuff. And what I mean by that is <laughs> it, 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 there are obviously minimum standards and the Employment Standards Code does apply and the human rights does apply, but it's principally driven by contract, i.e. the collective bargaining agreement, okay? And there are a number of arbitration clauses and meetings and uh, union reps. And so I typically can refer matters out when employees are unionized employees because it's just not an area I'm, I'm comfortable with. And um, invariably, you're, you're, you're pouring through um, a fairly complex collective bargaining agreement. And there are lawyers out there who uh, know that stuff a lot better than I do. So part of my job is to make sure if I can't handle it, I get my clients into the hands of lawyers who can handle it. Yeah, so I typically uh, do not deal with, with union matters at all. That's good advice because we have so many union people in Edmonton that uh, I imagine people maybe pick up the phone and, and catch you and, and you kind of divert them to the union lawyers. Right. Well, what I tell people who refer uh, clients to me is that if it's a direct referral, I say, look, if I can't handle it, I'll do my best to put them in, in the right hands because uh, that's a service that we put out there. Uh, that's how we get referrals. And so there are a number of lawyers that if it's union matters, I usually stop the caller uh, and say, Look, it's just not in there. But here, here's a few people, and I may go. I often go the extra distance to let the lawyers know that they're going to receive a call, uh, so that it doesn't come off. Uh, mm. that, you know, that they know it's coming, because uh, you know, it, uh, I, if you put a, if you have the introduction, then more often than not, the lawyers are going to spend some time with with the caller, even if they can't help them ultimately. So, 
Um, I have a question about contracts. So you mentioned that like sort of in the context of union stuff, but what about the employment contract that a person signs when they get hired? Does that come into play? Yeah, it's employment stuff. It's a secret that most employment lawyers who do work for employees never want to let out. And knowing that probably no one will be listening to this podcast anyways, I can let the secret out. That's a joke. (laughs) (laughs) In the 10 years, you may see this. Uh, When I act for employers, I plead and beg with them to introduce employment contracts. In Alberta, as long as you voluntarily, and no one's put a gun to your head, if, if upon obtaining a job, Mm-hmm. You enter into an employment contract. An employer can lessen his um, vulnerability to common law damages significantly by having an employee execute uh, an employment contract. It's all fair game. There, there are some exceptions to that, but typically the earlier a contract is entered into with an employee, the less likely a court would set aside that contract. The only restriction in that contract is that it cannot be, the entitlements can't be below the minimum standards. Okay. Okay. So I'll give you an example that sort of dovetails, I think, with what we talked about earlier. Let's say you're a 10-year employee. At common law, you might be entitled, depending on your age and so forth, but just for argument's sake, up to a month per year of service, 10 months, okay? At under the legislation, the minimum required is 10 weeks, okay? Okay. Um, so um, I, I should correct that. It's eight weeks. I'm just going to check because they keep changing this. Mm-hmm. Yes, an employee of 10 years or more currently in Alberta under the legislation is entitled to an eight-week notice period, which means that that same situation, the difference is potentially eight months wages and mm-hmm. eight weeks. Mm-hmm. Right? So you can't, you can't contract to less than the legislation, but you can contract to the same amount. So from an employer perspective, you are limiting your exposure to long-term employees, payouts for severance down the road by having your ducks in a row at an early stage, okay? Do you know why employee employer contra- employers don't often do employment contracts? Because they don't want to spend the money up front to do it. Hmm. It's as simple as that, because if I'm acting for a company that maybe only has 10 or 12 employees, and they say, Mark, what is it going to cost to do up an employment contract? And I say, look, it's going to cost $5,000, but you're going to be saving tens of thousands down the road by doing this. They say, yeah, I guess we'll deal with that down the road. Um, Where, talk about crazy things, uh, where employment contracts have been used unfairly more recently is thrusting an employment contract in in front of someone who's already been an employee for 10 or 12 or 15 or 20 years and then terminating them shortly thereafter signing the contract where you've taken away all their common law rights. Ah, okay. I can see Uh, how that might not be. That's not cool. Right, that's not cool. Um, and a court, the court hopefully would say that's not cool. But timing is everything. So uh, I've been seeing a lot more, you know, employers doing a little bit more of that, um, which which can be problematic for employees because now you have a signed express contract um, that that you're fighting to get out from under, and mm-hmm. that becomes problematic for the employee. 
it's not an insurmountable hurdle, but it just becomes a problem. And maybe you can't answer this, but if I'm an employee, a 15-year employee of my workplace, and my employer comes to me and says, hey, we'd really like you to sign this employment contract. Now, we're just restructuring. We met with the lawyer. We're asking everyone to do this. Yeah. Um, I mean, first thing I think I'd do is call you, Mark, and yeah. have you have a look at it. But what if I decide not to sign it? I mean, what are my choices there then? Am I... Right. Um, I you could be damaging that relationship with your employer, yeah. but you don't want to be shooting yourself in the foot right. either. Yeah, I mean, your your gut response would be, and you may edit this later, Evan, is to go fuck yourself. I'm not signing this. <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe. That, that internally, that's probably what most people are thinking. I wouldn't recommend you say that, especially if it's upper management uh, or someone who, has, who, who may view that to be inappropriate behavior in the workplace. But joking aside, that's, that's where you get back to just first principles of contract law. And mm -hmm. one of the first principles in contract law is a thing called consideration. So it, to have someone change the terms of their contract to that degree, let's say it restricts their vacation pay mm -hmm. or eliminates their common law rights so that they're only entitled to the legislated minimums for severance right. uh, for pay in lieu of notice, um, that would demand and require a reasonable consideration. Mm. So... The, the better way to approach it, perhaps, is saying, you know, I'm, I'm not opposed to signing this contract, but uh, where's the consideration? Hmm. So, you, you know, if I'm acting for an employer, I would say, you, you would go to that employer and say, we're going to offer you a $20,000 raise. We're going to offer you uh, an RSP contribution that you haven't been part of, and this and that, but here are the... Here's the offside of that. We need you to sign this contract. Um, you know, our, our our auditors have said we're just we got too much exposure to vacation time here and this and that. And then you say, go to a lawyer, have a look at this over. We want you to get independent legal advice before you sign this. Mm -hmm. If if that were to occur, and I looked at that, I don't think that's something that you can get around because mm -hmm. consider reasonable consideration has been paid. Mm -hmm. they, they had an opportunity to, to talk to a lawyer. Um, so very good question because most of the time employers are doing that, but without the consideration. Right. So the key is if the terms and conditions are all the same, uh, as far as, as far as the contract is concerned, fine. If they just want to formalize it, but it's all the same, that's not a problem. Mm -hmm. If they're changing it, therein lies a problem. So, right. How does an employee manage that? Carefully. Right. You got to be smart. Right. Uh, but I certainly wouldn't sign that agreement unless you got reasonable consideration for that. Mm. Yeah. So mm. what I'm hearing from the employer's perspective is there's a right way to do things and there's a wrong way or not so optimal way to do things. Right. And apparently sometimes employers are taking the shortcut and not doing things the optimal way. <laughs> yeah, surprising. Uh, have you ever heard of the, the, the Pinto, the Ford Pinto? Evan, you're probably too young to know the Ford Pinto. Oh, I'm not that young, Mark. I do remember okay. the Ford Pinto. Okay, well, beautiful, so the Ford beautiful, luxurious. <laughs> yeah, the, the Ford Pinto had a habit on rear end collisions of exploding. Yeah. And Ford became aware of this. And rather than recalling, they made a calculated uh, decision that, well, most people won't sue us. So. 
we can afford, but we're selling a lot of these Pintos. So it was a cost benefit sort of analysis, notwithstanding people are dying. Right. I, I wouldn't say it's as severe in the employment world. It's not as exciting, but employers, if you were, and there's no statistics whatsoever to back up this, this uh, what I'm saying, these numbers, but I suspect that if an employer f- terminated t- 10 10-year employees, does that make sense? 10 employees who all had 10 years, Mm-hmm. and offered all of them the minimum under the code, which is not very nice, which is not even a bronze package. I joke with clients when they ask me, is this a platinum package, gold, silver, or bronze? And then there's like the tinfoil. Right. So offering a 10-year employee eight weeks would be a very bad deal. Um, they do so on the basis that most of those employees will just sign whatever is given to them on the spot. Right. Okay. Five of those people might say, mm, I better think about this. Two of them might go talk to a lawyer, might, and one might litigate. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm just using this as an example, right. but yeah. more often than not, on numbers, employers, and again, there are no statistics to back this up, but just my experiences, is that they rely on numbers in part as to how they deal with. Um, employees. Right. Now, what I say to some of my employer clients is there's nothing stopping you from being really nice to your employees on a termination. They're like, what? I said, well, there's not, there's, there's a minimum standard. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like when I go to the bar and get a shot, like you get a bourbon. Well, the minimum standard is an ounce of bourbon. And so I always say to the, you know, as they're pouring me the shot and it's only half full, I, I said, you know, there's nothing to stop you guys from pouring a little more. I'm entitled, I've paid you, I'm entitled to a minimum of one out. So, but the point is that there's a minimum standard, but I often say to my clients who are employers, you can give them the platinum package. Right. Right. There, there's nothing stop. And, 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 you know, this isn't about being hard on employers. I mean, I've seen some very good packages by employers where the client calls me, I'm on the phone with them for 10 minutes. And I said, there's nothing I can do to help you. That's a really good deal. Do I owe you anything for the call? Nope. That's fine. I'm happy to see it because, uh, and it, it, I wouldn't say it's rare, but it's a little, I don't see it as frequently in this economy as I used to. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so nothing makes me happier than someone calling me and saying, this is what happened. And I say, you can't do better. They're treating you very, very well. I know it sucks that you've been fired, but your employer is treating you very well. Right. Um, you were fired the right way in the utopian world. Hopefully we, we will have that happen more often. But yeah, I sometimes dream about the utopian world where, uh, employees treat or employers treat their employees well and, uh, you know, maybe pay a little bit better, but, uh, the rest of the world doesn't seem to be catching on. Well, you know, and I, you know, I see some of the reverse happen too, but again, it's, um, I think to be a good practitioner in employment law, uh, in my view, it's it's good to work on both sides. Interesting, because I know some people will choose one or the other. Yeah, and I know that people who listen to this may disagree with that, but it's same with, um, uh, Heather will know a little bit about this in her pre-family law life. Uh, it didn't, it certainly helped my practice doing personal injury to, to have worked for insurance companies mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so you, you, you can kind of have a better understanding of both sides. Um, right. And I, I think that it shouldn't matter what side you're acting for. 
you should be able to do both. But yes, you're quite right, Evan. Most people will, um, most people cho chosen to do, I'm either doing employer law or I'm only doing employee law. Uh, I do both. Uh, and, I, and there's others that do too, but there, there's not a lot of them out there, I would, I, I would say. Hmm. A question about in intimidation. I think many people don't reach out to lawyers because they're they feel little compared to their employer, or they assume that their lawyer has already, or their employer has already hired a lawyer to review the contract. When should somebody reach out to you, or what are the types of people that you want reaching out to you, Mark, to get a second opinion on what they face in, in paperwork in front of them? Yeah, it, it is difficult. Uh, I mean, I try to put myself in in people's shoes because um, um, when when should they seek out legal advice? Well, I think my view is whenever they think they need to. That opens up a can of worms for sure, but it's hard to know until you talk to someone whether their concerns are premature or whether they're real and need assistance. Certainly, all I would you know, strongly recommend that all individuals who've been terminated and are faced with a package, uh, what they often call a severance package, what is really a payment in lieu of notice package, um, should consult a lawyer. And in fact, if you ever read, good good employers will, uh, and for good reason, will, will make it clear in that letter or in the release that they've made efforts to ensure that you obtain legal advice, okay? Um, frankly, sometimes there's very short fuses on these, on these mm. settlement agreements. So they're mm. like, we really think you should get a lawyer and review this, but you have till tomorrow to, uh, sign this piece of paper. It's a bit disingenuous. So that's a, that's another complaint that I see out there quite often, but most employers will extend the deadline. They would much rather their employees sign on the dotted line with the advice of a lawyer for the reasons I described before, because otherwise it's unlikely that that settlement would ever be set aside in those circumstances by the court. So that would be one circumstance absolutely that I would uh, say someone should reach out. The other one is where you have someone that's been involved in a terrible office environment for years and is suffering. And by that, I mean, not that they come home and are just mad about it. They're actually physically or emotionally suffering to the point, to the point where perhaps they are seeking out medical assistance. Uh, the good news is we're more alive to these issues now, so people are seeking help where they used to just bury it inside. That's what I do. I just bury it all inside, and then at some point it erupts. Uh, but, but other people apparently are seeing people <laughs> and physicians and treatment providers, uh, which I recommend at an earlier stage. And so I think those people should also reach out to a lawyer to get an idea of what their rights are. Um, I, I'm not a physician and I'm not a psychiatrist. And so I'm careful in my advice because, um, if, if their physician or other treatment provider views them to be harmed by working in that environment, um, then it seems to me that that's not an environment they should continue working in. Now, in practice, the reality is, um, there are a lot of employees who are working in bad environments and continue to do it because they can't afford to leave that job. That's the right. That's the reality. So they, they'll put up with a lot of crap. Uh, but if it gets to the point where you are requiring that sort of assistance, you, you should talk to a lawyer. Yeah, for sure. 
And is that where you're looking at one of those? You've referred to it before as a constructive dismissal case. Like if the yeah. work environment is that bad, then then you might be able to convince a court that yeah, I mean that they're pushing you out essentially because it's so bad. Right. Like there's basically two lines of assistance. There's the after being terminated, mm -hmm. which is principally the bulk of my work, mm -hmm. but there is a fair amount of before termination legal assistance. Mm -hmm. And often we're in the background because they're still employed. Mm -hmm. So, so there is a, there is a bit of a tight rope you have to walk on because you, you don't want to show your, you know, and, and not in a deceitful way either. It's just that it's, it's a little benefit. I think if someone's having issues with their employer to um, say, Oh, here's a letter from my lawyer saying you're being mean to me or being unfair to me. Right. I would only do that in circumstances where it's at a point where the decisions being made by my client through my consultation and principally through their doctors to say, this is a harmful work environment we cannot return and we are alleging a constructive dismissal. That's where typically a lawyer might get involved um, in a more express fashion, an obvious fashion to the employer. But um, we're see I'm seeing a lot more of that. It's really tricky. Um, there, there, there's no doubt we'll see in the next few years that while it wasn't really the work environment, it was COVID, I suspect that will be uh, an excuse that will be used by employers mm -hmm. and it may be valid to mm -hmm. some degree. I, right. I don't know. Um, uh, I think we all know just uh, that there, there are people who use the COVID excuse a lot quicker than others. <laughs> uh, some genuinely and some mm -hmm. just because it's available. So we'll see how this all plays out in time. Mm -hmm. um, but um, yeah, the, the before termination type of legal guidance. I'm doing a lot more of that than I ever have. Yeah. Interesting. And my, my classic advice to clients was don't quit, don't resign, let the employer make the first move. Mm. Don't quit, don't resign, let the employer make the first move. I, I, I would just, that would be my mantra. Um, but more recently, I put a little caveat, don't quit, don't resign, let the employer make the first move, but unless you continuing to work in this environment is harmful to you. Right. Or to others surrounding, or you're in an abusive situation. So, right. so I have had to broaden my, <laughs> my simple instructions or recommendations, but um, uh, I'm seeing a lot more of that. That's for sure. Yeah. Are there resources for, for people? Let's say somebody's an adult is getting bullied in the workplace. They are intimidated. They know th things aren't going well. Is there something that they should be doing a website they can go to tracking certain behaviors in the office? Is that a thing? Yeah. I mean, I, a lot of the bigger employers have, it's really a tough call, Kim, because what's happened is, and I'm not sure if employers, I want to be fair to employers. I think there's a, there are genuine attempts to deal with workplace harassment, abuse in the workplace. And so they have availability and resources. The employer has the availability for employee, employees to talk about that, to uh, seek out treatment if they need it. They often will put signs up in the lunchroom and all that we're seeing that sort of thing. In practice, uh, God, I don't want to be so cynical, but it almost is a red flag. Like we got a problem. We got to get rid of this employee. Mm -hmm. So on the one part, we're asking people to be, look, mental health, let's talk about it. Let's all get it out there. 
uh, in practice, uh, I think most employers are like, oh my God, this is a headache. This is going to be a problem. Let's get out from under this as quick as possible. And so that's the blunt reality. Uh, I'm, uh, I don't want to talk unfair. I'm sure there are some great programs that are put initiated by certain employers. Mm -hmm. uh, but in the trenches, what I'm seeing is that those types of employees are viewed to be a risk. Mm -hmm. And in productivity, in resources, you name it. And so um, as far as government programs, uh, yeah, they're, you know, Alberta Health will cover certain therapy and treatment for sure initially. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't, I should probably have a 1-800 number uh, that I would get people to reach out to. Uh, but I usually say, look, go talk to the, to the physician that knows you best. And that's often your family doctor. Right and let them make the call. Right. Yeah. I've got a number of questions here. Uh, one, Mark, is we've talked about constructive dismissal. Is there such thing as constructive resignation or is that just dismissal with cause? Well, just, uh, well, maybe flesh that out for me where someone feels that they're resigning because they have no other option but to resign. Or where the employer is saying, well, you, you, by your actions, you have effectively resigned. Yeah, we, you you would get that too. It would be a cause dismissal, right. or or you know, it's tantamount. It could be it could be folded into constructive dismissal. I, we've seen weird cases where they say you either do this or you sign this resignation form, <laughs> right? right? Or you go you go work in you go work in. Uh, God, I don't want to be harsh to some town. Let's say Regina, Siberia. Let's uh, <laughs> say pile of pile of bones, Saskatchewan. Uh, you go work there or resign. And so those sorts of uh, pressure, coercion, uh, what I call gun to your head, are, it will not ultimately, hopefully, be permitted by our courts. But there are that's happening regularly. Hmm. I, hate, I hate to say it, but it, there are people who are given ultimatums all the time at work. Hmm. Um, so, I'm not, you know, interestingly, I'm seeing a lot more people, this is a topic, could be another topic is they're recording conversations uh, with in these meetings, like oh. management meetings, because of Apple, because of iPhones and, and digital phones. Like, yeah, I was going to ask about that. What do you say about that? About people recording stuff at work for any number of the, these reasons we've talked about? Yeah, the, the law, as I understand it, uh, a lot of criminal lawyers are pretty up to speed on this law, but the law for civilly speaking or mm -hmm. civil matters or, is that in Alberta and this isn't all jurisdictions but in Alberta you only need the consent of one party to to record a conversation right. and that one party can be you right <laughs> so um, so there's nothing unlawful as far as I know and I'm not you know I'm not up to speed on every element of this but uh, to record a conversation, I think the uh, challenge comes in and whether or not you can use it as evidence. Exactly. That becomes right. the bigger issue and you get into all of those hearsay and uh, exceptions and or, or, or to what extent it can be even used, even if it's a, a, acknowledged that it is genuine. In, right. In so that is fodder. But having said that, from a hit you over the head with a sledgehammer, I've had some very helpful recordings uh, that I didn't initiate or recommend, they just organically happened, which have resolved in fairly quick resolutions, let's put it that way. 
Mm. Right, because there's 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 non-legal consequences for saying yeah. certain things that get put on some kind of a record, whether or not that record can be used in evidence right. in a court of law, it can be used in other ways. It can be convincing. And I'm sure God family lawyers must deal with that all the time with phone calls. They call the ex-spouse and uh, they threaten to do this, threaten to do that. I mean, it, it doesn't hurt to have it, but uh, yeah. my pra the practice I've developed, because I'm not sure whether it's untoward or in, in, uh, you know, in, uh, improper for a lawyer to recommend recording conversations, I don't recommend it, but I will advise of the what I understand the law to be that you only need the consent of one party. Mm -hmm. You're that one party, so. Yeah. But I, I, I don't, I don't say, hey, you go in there, and you get a recording. <laughs> like that's not my practice. Right. Yeah. And I'm not sure if that would be proper. Although I'd have to think about that. Maybe the law society would have comment on that. Yeah. Uh, no. I, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but. Yeah. No, the, the last time I looked, I think that was the answer I came up with as well, which was that you only needed the consent of one party, but it might go to admissibility or weight if you ultimately wanted to use it at trial. But now, having you said that, I, I see yeah. my own clients now recording. I've caught my own clients recording my conversations. Yeah. So yeah. what's good for the goose is good. I mean, you know, this yeah. stuff, uh, it, it's all over. So... What I say is if you're on a podcast or you're on a listserv or if you're assumed that what you're saying is going to get out there, yeah. except in your case, because there's only, what, eight to ten viewers again that will be watching. <laughs> six. <laughs> I think we have six. My mom and dad. And <laughs> yeah. well, Mark, if you tell people about it, maybe we'll get more listeners. Yeah. All right. All right. I'll do my best. you got to let me know when it airs. 2030. <laughs> <laughs> That's about right. Um, recording oh, thing is really interesting. There's, I mean, there's so much in the media about police and body cams, and that that many police are are wanting the body cams now because it's protecting them. You know, women in the in the sexual assault issue um, might be listening to this podcast and think, well, aha, it might not be used in court, but at least people will believe me in the office that so and so is a problem. So I, I think that's fascinating. Uh, like a side topic. Yeah, it is. And uh, again, I'm not going to dispute that it has, like Evan pointed out, uh, legal effect aside. Sometimes it has a practical effect. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, we're seeing more of that um, for sure. Related. Oh, sorry. You go ahead, Evan. Or? Okay. Oh. Okay. This is good, moving away from that back to some employment things. So. Okay. The, um, I have experience working in the government and I imagine working in the government or for the government is probably similar to working for any large corporation. Obviously there's a little bit of difference, but I'm wondering if you've noticed any trends in, uh, with government employees and as a follow on question, is there, do federal employees, do they fall under, are they excluded from the provincial employment codes or do both still apply? Yeah, so um, I'll, I'll answer your second question first. It, I don't deal with federal matters either because they're dealing with fe federal legislation and federal employment codes. But you're still subject to, an employer is still subject to our some provincial statutes such as uh, human rights and so forth. So that's an area that I, I don't 
uh, involve myself in. Again, I recommend uh, for sure. On the government side, what we're seeing is um, is uh, certainly in Alberta for sure is just a lack of overall resources. And so as a consequence, uh, when you're looking to, to limit the load, I guess, often you're looking at from some fairly longstanding employees who are being terminated, mm. okay? Now, again, bigger uh, operations, government entities, government positions, they often will, if they're not unionized, will have employment contracts in place. So it's fairly cut and dry for the most part, but what I'm seeing, particularly in some of the government bodies that I deal with frequently, uh, wholesale changes in, uh, in management, bringing in younger employees with less tenure, moving, limiting positions. It's tough, it's a tough time, yeah, for sure. And uh, I call it the Safeway Initiative. In other words, get rid of all the full-time workers and bring in part-times. Uh, you don't have to pay benefits. Uh, you can you can pay them less, and they're not unionized. Right. I'm seeing a lot of uh, of bigger employment uh, kind of functioning that way, uh, with a lot more part time employees, less long standing full time employees. Yeah, hmm. and that's a trend I think that will continue. Hmm. Um, I, I will say this: that part of the uh, interesting employment side of COVID. And I, I'm going outside of my um, my realm somewhat. Is part of the reason why there was so much spread early on in a lot of the healthcare centers in Alberta was because that most of the healthcare workers were part time workers and working at a, mul a number of facilities. Yeah. And so I don't know if you recall when they realized it was airborne and that hey, how are all these you know, assisted living homes, what is going on? And what they realized is that uh, because the nursing staff, staff were principally part-time, uh, they were moving around from facility to facility. And then finally the government followed BC and said, okay, we got to put an end to this. You could only work at one facility. The problem is uh, a lot of these employees relied on having two or three jobs to make up the difference for not being full-time. So that was an employment strategy that in the context of COVID really failed us. Um, so we'll see what, if that changes certainly with, with nursing and LPNs and, and uh, but time will tell. Time will yeah. tell. Yeah. Interesting. I'm going to take a bit of a left turn here. Um, you hear in the news sometimes, and I think they're like the hot topics, um, but of uh, people getting dismissed for posting stuff on social media. So maybe they've got some bad behavior, whatever that you have, whatever you want to define that as, and their weekend time or their holiday time or yeah. whatever, and then they're posting that on social media. Um, I mean, I guess I have two questions. Number one, does that happen in real life or are these just, you know, the the one-off like outlier news stories? And secondly, can someone be dismissed for things they're doing or opinions they have outside of their employment? 
Yeah. Uh, well, the simple answer to that is it depends. <laughs> uh, but, uh, Our favorite lawyer answer. Yeah, depends. Really helpful. Doesn't really answer the question at all. Kind of. <laughs> Uh, well, I can give you a, a real life example. I, ha I did have a client who was uh, on maternity leave. And while on maternity leave, she was a genuine maternity leave. She was posting on one of these social media platforms um, something about uh, she was knitting, about selling stuff on, you know, selling these little scarves and booties she was making while on maternity leave. And the and the employer took it upon themselves to view that as she was um, uh, working elsewhere while on maternity leave and took an opportunity to terminate her at that time, relying on these um, you know, social media posts as her um, uh, somehow breaching her employment contract, which did have uh, an, an inclusion that she was only work for that firm. But I think the, in or for that company, I think the intention was, uh, my view of the reading of the contract was, well, she wasn't at work for any other competitors, but if she wanted to sell mm. booties <laughs> for $2 or $5. So um, the answer is, unfortunately, um, I think that there is a possibility um, that, 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 that could come back to haunt someone. In the same way I, I tell my personal injury clients, you know, the insurance companies are looking at your Facebook page. They're, the defense lawyers are looking at who you are. Mm -hmm. um, so if you're ziplining in uh, in Costa Rica and you two weeks before said your back's so bad you can't walk, that's going to be a problem for us, isn't it? Um, there was an interesting article, I, I don't know where it came from, that whether you could rely on someone's Facebook postings as a true indication of who that individual was. In other mm -hmm. words... We have alter ego, Facebook alter egos, kind of. Oh, fascinating, um, yeah. You rarely see a bad picture of a person on Facebook. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Hence some of the problems, for, I guess, on these dating apps, when you meet them in person, you're like, oh, my God, that is nowhere near uh, what your Facebook photo has. Right. Um, but in any event, uh, I, I caution all of my clients, whether it's employment law um, that they will be watching your your social media, mm. and uh, certainly there are defamation. I've, I've, you know, I'm aware of defamation lawsuits. Same with listserv, whether it's you know family laws as a server, Alberta Travelers Association, or Civil Travelers Association. There is always the possibility uh, for legal action based on that. Unlikely, unlikely. Mm. But if you're in the throes of litigation, I I tell my clients get off it get off, mm. get off it. Mm -hmm. Now, whether they do so or not is, is another, another mm -hmm. issue. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I guess what I'm hearing you say, kind of, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's unlikely that employers are snooping up on their employees' Facebooks on a regular basis. But if you've got a problem employee, maybe, or something going on, then they might be looking at those things, those kinds right. of things to see what's happening. As Well, I, I think it all depends. If, if you're in a good employer-employee relationship, I suspect yeah. not. I think if they're looking for, if they have concerns about you, yeah. It's pretty easy to say from the hours of uh, 9 to uh, 4.30 on a work day, you posted 10 Facebook or Twitter during work hours. That could be problematic for an employee, right. I suspect. Or if you're, if you're saying one thing to your employer and then on your Facebook, 
uh, saying another. Now, I do appreciate also that there's a certain level of privacy and what you do on your own time should be no one else's business. Um, you may recall as young lawyers, we got dragged into a room uh, early on in our articling to be, uh, it was to talk about how uh, we must conduct ourselves as lawyers, not only uh, as we practice law, but even outside of the practice of law, which I always thought, what are you nuts if I want to act like an idiot? <laughs> at the bar, what, what, what does the law society, why should they care? Well, they do. And it's bringing the, the profession into disrepute or what have you. Right. Uh, um, I think lawyers are bound with a little more than the average employee on that. But yeah. uh, uh, I guess to answer, it all depends, but I, I would be, I'm, I often tell my clients, watch out on social media for sure. Right, right. Yeah, you, you call in with... <coughs> Yeah, I really feel bad at not going to be able to make it in for the next couple of days. And then you go on and you're posting on social media that you're out on the lake. Yep. Yeah. Or you're, you know, you're down in Vegas hanging out at Spearmint Rhino, which I gather is a, a place where you play Kino, from what I understand. I, I've never been there myself. Yeah, I heard that it's a place for just good, wholesome activities. That's yeah. never been. Yeah, I don't know, but I have no idea. But point being, yeah, you're quite right. Um, you know, yeah. You say you're you're sick, and you're you're not. <laughs> That's going to be problematic. Uh, so, what about other questions of privacy, Mark? So I'm thinking. I mean, we're still sort of well. Who knows if we're at the tail end or not of this pandemic? But I think we're all hoping we are. <laughs> um, but what about questions of privacy around stuff like that? Like, can an employer ask you if you're vaccinated can they make rules around um you know whether you have to wear a mask if that's not in line with the current government regulations can you do you have any answers about that stuff because i'm guessing that's coming up for employers and employees a lot right it's a hot topic right now and in fact any if you go to any seminar employment seminar labor seminar there's going to be someone talking about covid yeah. Um, and and what, what how that will impact that? My my answer to that is I think really we don't know how the courts will deal with this until you know it gets there's a couple matters that litigated. But one of the big questions that has come up uh, is can you force an employee to be vaccinated? Okay. So you have existing employees in place. Mm-hmm. And we've all been working from some, you know, a lot of people have been working from home, but let's assume there's a movement and a lot of firms, I know uh, law firms, but also institutions have, you know, big insurance companies, they're, they're looking to have people brought back in September, subject to how these numbers work out uh, yes. recently. Um, can you institute a requirement that those employees be fully vaccinated? Uh, I'll give you my personal view on that, mm-hmm. although it hasn't been tested in, in law. I think I think there may be a window in that regard, even though it's clearly a breach of your constitutional rights, in that it may be one of those breaches that would be warranted or justified because it's a global pandemic. Now, I know many would disagree with me on that, or the, the easier, less risky path is never to go down there never to, to go that road, you would go about it in more creative ways uh, where there'd be initiatives perhaps for those who are vaccinated or perhaps have an extra day off a year. Mm-hmm. If you're, uh, 
doing indirectly what maybe employers are scared to do directly. But my personal view is, is that this is a, this isn't a flu vaccine. The numbers are, are, you know, uh, you know, I don't want to get too much on my views on this, but it is a serious issue. And so is this one of those circumstances where it would be warranted? I'll, I'll get, uh, yeah. and by warranted, I mean a breach of one, what otherwise would be a breach of one's fundamental rights, mm-hmm. uh, or charter rights. I'll give you an example. More interestingly is if we were to take in applications for a new employee, let's say uh, an assistant, Right. Um, I think it would be improper in normal times to ask them whether they've had the flu vaccine as a condition of work. It might, it might, it'd be an improper question. Right. It would be, it would be based on, on, you know, it'd be the same as asking them, um, you know, can I look at your, what's your health like or what, you know, those sorts of questions. Yeah. Um, I suspect most employees may wish to volunteer that, (laughs) but the question is, is that, um, is that a proper question in this climate, mm. right? right? Put another way, uh, wouldn't it be nice as a law firm to put on our website, uh, Smith Thompson Law is back open for business. All of our staff and lawyers are fully vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It would be kind of nice to be able to say that. Um, so I think that uh, my personal views is that I think there is a window in this case that there would be an exception um, in the same way we deal with constitutional rights in the normal section one exceptions and those sorts of things. Uh, I think, you know, we won't know until some time, but uh, I think with the benefit of what we've gone through, if, if, if numbers start to spike again, and it's clear that the, it's the unvaccinated statistically are the ones who are being impacted by this. I think, it's my opinion mm-hmm. that it may open up a window for uh, employers to be a little more um, restrictive in, in, in who they have as they're asking those types of questions. Right. Uh, but the best I can say to you is we're not going to know the answer for some time. So I can't get, I couldn't give any level of a, uh, certainty if, if I had a, an employer who called me and said, hey, Mark, can we ask that question? My right. answer to that is I don't know. Perhaps, yes, you may not want to be the test case. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Right. Um, it, uh, is the practical side of it, really. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, and, and every lawyer, every law firm, every, every employer is going to have to deal with this. Now, luckily, organically or not, all of our staff and all of our lawyers as, are fully vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we don't have this problem. Right. Um, but there are many firms, bigger firms, bigger up, you know, entities that are going to have this problem. So how do you deal with it? Yeah. And, and, and if it comes down to a real health and safety issue, public health and safety, my family, your family, the thought is, isn't this one of those situations where you're, yes, it's a breach of your right, but isn't it justifiable in the circumstances? I think that's the question that a court will have to answer down the road. Mm-hmm. And my thought is, is maybe, it might maybe be. this is that case. Yeah. 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 Interesting. That's, yeah. yeah. Difficult um, things to weigh as an employer. Very difficult. I don't, I don't envy employers having to make that decision. Mm-hmm. I mean, 
if it was over lunch meetings, I, I suspect people are saying, Jesus, let's get everyone vaccinated so we can end this nonsense. Whether you, whether you're fully on board with vaccinations or not, yeah. there, there was some utility in having everyone vaccinated. Yeah. Um, from just a, from just a customer perspective, whether you're selling widgets or beers yeah. or legal services, like we all understand that. Yeah. Um, but uh, I guess time will tell. I'm searching my memory right now. I was out somewhere on the weekend and there was a sign posted outside the business and it said our employees are 81.8% vaccinated or something like that. I'm trying to remember where that was. (laughs) I never thought about that from like an employer and employee kind of uh, of perspective. Yeah, which epidemiologists or doctors would say, that's terrible. This place is, uh, (laughs) this is a bad (laughs) Don't don't put that up. So what you're saying is 20% of your employees. So I mean, depending how you look, yeah, you look at this as a yeah. yeah. Uh, but yes, no, I think I think people will be using it as a I hate to say badge of honor because that brings back. I mean, it's just a it 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 will be used where it's beneficial to employers. Uh, I suspect um, just right. like the airlines tried to coax everyone to fly during times when they probably shouldn't. That's right. another topic for another day, but right. uh, the, the the false sense of security, call it whatever it is, but um, yeah, that would be, I think, a good follow up episode because uh, I, I suspect that this someone will take a run at this. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes lawsuits are, I won't say created, but they're they're manufactured in, in so that we get an answer to these questions, yeah. and I suspect that's an answer that we need. Um, because I don't think COVID's going away and this vaccine, you know, we're talking now about third doses and all this other stuff. So it's going to be around for a while. Yeah. 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 It'll be interesting to see the, uh, that lawsuit we have with the, the church or the pastor from that church out in Stony Plain, who's bringing the constitutional challenge saying, it'll be interesting to see the answer there because. Yeah. And that there is an example of you have, you have a bunch of cross uh, um, streams there. You have religious rights, you have uh, rights to be safe and have a safe community and the public. Uh, So yeah, it'll be very interesting how that plays out. I mean, um, uh, I I haven't been following more recently what's been happening, but um, I guess the problem I think ultimately is that there were certain whether you agreed or not, there were certain health uh, requirements and standards that they continued to violate, and that's going to be problematic for them. Even if ultimately they had a point to make, and it was a fair point, like right. should a court be forcing people to vaccinate, or should a court uh, be forcing people to separate when they want to get together and they understand the risks and so forth? Yeah, uh, I think I think it comes down to. Um, like obviously the government's saying, yeah, this is an infringement for sure, but it's justified. Right. Right. And then there, there's as well, is it justified? Cause did you actually know anything or did you just make this stuff up? Yeah. Is this all, I mean, I think this falls back. I don't want to trivialize the significance of those issues, but uh, I think there were similar arguments when the seatbelt legislation came in. Mm-hmm. This is a violent, if I don't want to wear a seatbelt and, and it was determined, look, it's, it's, for your safety dummy, 
Yeah. And it's for the safety of, of others. And so, mm -hmm. and for our healthcare. So mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, we are breaching your rights, but we're doing it for a justified reason. Yeah. And so, um, uh, just like we make motorcyclists wear helmets, you know, yeah. uh, um, like Heather, I sh I'm sure if Heather rode a motorbike, she would want that beautiful mane of hair flying behind her. I mean, it would uh, look a lot better. Unfortunately, uh, she's got to wear a helmet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's and the, I would. That's the law. Yeah. Yes. Sorry about that, Heather. Yeah. We can, add it, we can edit all of that out, Heather. <laughs> oh, it's Dana. <laughs> no, that's fine. Then people have to watch the video, too, to just see how good my hair looks. Now, do I have any control over the editing? Did I sign something to give up? <laughs> oh, Oh, I don't. Kim is saying no. Oh, no. goodness. I'm He's scared. got a no-go. <laughs> I haven't sworn that much. I haven't really made a lot of politically insensitive comments yet. No. I Plus, I, I feel like it'll give us a little bit of street cred, at least having one episode with the explicit mark next to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think you're going to leave that F-bomb in there. May I've got a question. This is, sure. I've been sitting here listening to you guys rattle on a little bit, and my mind's going elsewhere, and I'm thinking about group benefits plans that offer free, some of them, many of them offer free legal advice. So somebody's getting turfed, they've got free benefits, uh, free legal advice to their benefits. Wouldn't they always just maybe reach out to that legal entity and say, hey, I got terminated, here's my package, have a look. Would they have people to look that over? And the reason I'm thinking about this is because I always ask all of our guests what they cost, because I got to build this into budgets in my world. People yeah. want to know what you cost. So do you oh. have any insight into, into the benefits, free legal advice, and, and what it costs to hire an employment lawyer? Right. So uh, I think what you're talking about, Kim, I know of a couple of, um, it's part of insurance plans or disability where they, um, like, am I able to name those? Do you have any concerns about Blue Shield, for instance, is one I'm aware of. Okay. And so what the concept is, is through your insurance plan, whatever it happens to be, you would be entitled not necessarily to free legal advice, but a legal advice at a reduced rate as part of your, so when the insurer or the broker is pitching the benefits of this plan, they would say, oh, and also you'd be entitled to access to these wonderful lawyers that would do work on a reduced rate, which um, frankly is a good idea. Um, but ultimately, I don't think you're gonna get uh, free legal services throughout the course of a lawsuit. That's not my understanding, nor would that. And, and, and for full disclosure, I do some work for Blue Shield and do offer legal services at reduced prices because I'm one of the lawyers they reach out to. Um, but uh, I think someone better be careful in looking at what that really means. I would say to anyone who is being uh, wooed or um, you know, there's that incentive, should take a look at what that really means. But there are services out there that provide some um, uh, in, in, reductions of legal fees that would otherwise be charged. That, that's that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I'm familiar with some insurance companies that offer free free legal advice. Uh, you get a certain number of hours that you can utilize as part of your group benefits package with your employer. So I was thinking, are they any sure. good? And and should you, if you're terminated, you still have access to these benefits for maybe a week, maybe a bit longer. Should should you reach out? Is there any harm? Right. Well, I would love to know that because it may be an avenue for me to provide 
you know, several hours of consultation and it's paid through the insurance rather than out of someone's mm. pocket um, if it's available to them. I, I, Kim, I'm not aware, I, you're more into that sort of side of things, insurance. I'm not aware of, of those sorts of, um, for employees, although um, certain professional bodies have that. They'll have up to $5,000 as part of their professional fees could go to outside or legal representation up to a certain amount of money. So maybe that's a similar thing. They'd have a limit. Just like you get so much for physio, you get so much for Cairo. Right. Well, maybe they got $500. I, I think that that all makes sense to me. Hmm. I haven't been on the back end of that type of program where someone called me. Let's get water. Me, yeah. So this is great. <laughs> so we should start up our own little program because that seems like like an excellent mm -hmm. plan, Kim. Mm -hmm. And anytime I can get insurance companies to pay for things, it makes me happy. <laughs> <laughs> so what, is, what, what does an employment lawyer cost? Is it similar to family law lawyers? Like in terms oh, of Oh no, we're much more reasonable than family lawyers, <laughs> uh, Kim. Uh, uh, and that well, anyways, that's a discussion we had pre pre uh uh, podcast, but um, well, principally, my I take on matters on on in two ways. One would be hourly, um, and so uh, my hourly rate is four hundred fifty dollars an hour. Uh, I'm a lawyer for 16, 17 years. We view that to be fairly competitive, if not better than a lot of the the bigger lawyers and big firms. I, I have to say, there are many good lawyers at big firms. The problem with big firms these days is they often get conflicted out in representing employees because they represent so many mm. employers, companies. So that is really why most employment law, not all, most employment law on the employee side is handled by smaller firms like ours because we are not a corporate law. We're not, we're not encumbered by those sorts of conflicts. And some of these multinational firms, you can imagine how many employers they act for or subsidiaries of companies, it, it, it creates a very difficult time, I suspect, for a lawyer to carve out a, a, a plaintiff's practice in employment law. Right. Uh, um, we also take a fair amount of claims on contingency, depending on the circumstances. And so when I spoke of the, the bread and butter type, act, you know, where it's a without cause dismissal, the only issue is really what are the damages we, we do on occasion take those on contingency in circumstances where, and particularly in employment situations, most of the people calling me, they just got fired. Uh, they have no money. And what we realized during COVID is many people don't have a lot of money saved, sadly. It's, right. it just, it's just how it is in Alberta. So they literally don't have an extra $1,000 or more to even, even if they wanted to give you an initial retainer. Uh, to, to see what happens. So we often take those claims on contingency, but there is a risk side to the law firm. So what I tell them, you know, I tell my clients straight up that, um, you know, we're, we do some pro bono work, but at the end of the day, I have a mortgage just like them and I have a family. And so we, we got to be pretty careful in what claims we take on contingency. And what contingency means for those who aren't in the know is basically we would, we would only take fees once we reached the settlement or obtained a judgment if we went to trial. So um, there are different, every firm has different styles of contingency, but it's, in essence, what it is is that we don't ask for money up front from the client. 
we would carry the disbursement, so out-of-pocket expenses that our firm spends, and um, in the event of a settlement, uh, we would take a percentage. So the often the example I give to people most often is if at the end of the day we get ten oranges, you get seven, and we get three. Okay, pretty simple way to explain it to someone. Yeah. And then they say, well, how about two and a half oranges? And I say, well, how about three and a half oranges? And then we get back to, okay, three sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> and then they're more convinced. Than, than the dirty family lawyers. Yeah. Dirty family lawyers, as we found out, don't take matters on contingency. They just, now, one of my complaints about family lawyers, not to throw you guys under the bus, but. We can take lawyer, it. As a lawyer who doesn't do family law at all. <laughs> and who knows a bunch of family lawyers, it is nearly impossible to get a family lawyer, even ones that I know, to just talk to my client or talk to my referred client. And in part, I think it's because we need a lot more family lawyers in Alberta. Mm. I, I think we don't have enough, and we don't have a lot of public funding for family lawyers, as I understand it, like other provinces. Yeah. So um, we don't have the resources um, so while most family lawyers had altruistic purposes in you know, university, I want to make a difference, the rule is they're not talking to you until a retainer is paid and secured in that trust account. <laughs> but joking aside, uh, we need, I don't know, Heather will know this, we need a public, we need some public money to provide, and I think there's a bit of it, but I don't think legal aid is covering much of the uh, of the family law. No. Uh, are they getting involved in any, they'll get involved in custody matters, will they? Yeah, but the income threshold is so low to qualify for legal aid that it's, you know, barely scraping. Um, Not only that, like, yeah, that's a huge problem. Like har hardly anybody that is impoverished can even uh, meet that threshold. You gotta be really impoverished. Yeah. Yeah. Not only that, but the the government expects the lawyers to to actually fit the bill because the legal aid certificates do not they pay a fraction of the going market rate. Yeah. And there's a lot of administrative hoops that need to be jumped through. You get a limited number of hours to run a file, and they cover uh, this may be dated information, but my most recent information is that there's got to be an active court action going on as well. So you're not getting access to that to help people just settle things. Like you're already in litigation, in court, and that whole thing. So you really like, you know, narrowing down the categories as you plinko through all of those, uh, all of those requirements, right? right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it, that's another plinko reference. I think that's two weeks in a row, Heather. Is that? Oh man, what is? I got plinko on the brain. I don't know what's going on. Is this on. old Bob Barker plinko or my my brother? Drew Carey. Joking aside, I think from my from my view, and I, of course, I don't do any family work. As they say, I found out early on what I didn't want to do before I found out what I really wanted to do. But family law is just not an area that that um, interested me, and uh, it it strikes me from my from my position that there isn't enough family lawyers out there, maybe. Uh, and you guys are super busy, and so it's it's really hard to um, to you know when I get calls as a lawyer from my clients or friends of me of mine to say, hey Mark, who can you refer me to? Th that's a struggle. 
to find a family lawyer that can that can can help out. Um, and so I think that needs. I mean, you guys can. There's lots of bad things you can say about personal injury lawyers too, but I think it's something that needs to be sorted out in an institutional sense because um, it's it's helped as needed. Um, but you guys have mortgages too. You guys yeah. got families. Yeah. You got firms to support. So it's a tough one. So yeah. Kim, yes, contingency and hourly are typically how we proceed on employment files. Um, when I was talking about constructive dismissal, I most of those, if not all of those cases, not all, but most, will be on hourly basis because there's no assurance at the end of the day that you will be able to obtain a settlement for your client, unlike dismissals without cause, mm-hmm. for the most part. It would be, and the analogy would be, it's the rear-end motor vehicle accident of motor vehicle litigation. In other words, you're pretty sure that the employer's on the hook. It's just a question of what's the reasonable amount. Right. So on that basis, we're able to do it on contingency from a, from a financial sense. And it's good for the client because they don't have to pay us any money up front. Right. Um, yeah. But they still get the advice and guidance. And... Yeah. 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 And if everything goes well, we give them a mug and a hat too. Wow. Ooh. Yeah. Excellent. We have awesome swag. Maybe I'll send you guys some. Yeah. Yeah. Look us up. You can wear it on your next podcast, although that would be kind of advertising. You might for it. Yeah, but it's all good. It's all good. Well, and when we get some access to Justice Swag, we'll uh, we'll hook you up as yeah. one of the original <laughs> yeah. Uh, guests. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> well, Mark, do you have any parting words? Is there anything that we haven't asked you that you think our listeners just need to know about employment law before we wrap things up for today's episode? Well, I guess my only words of advice is that uh, uh, a very smart man said that if you can find a job you enjoy, you never have to work a day in your life. And so what I often tell my clients is, even though they're often sad when they're terminated or sometimes when they're in a big employment dispute and they don't know what to do, um, a lot of times it works out for people because it's either a job they shouldn't be in or they don't like and it gives them a fresh start. Um, they won't know it at the time, but I have had clients call me back after the fact and said, hey, Mark, you're actually right. This has been uh, a good thing. Um, mm. I suspect some of my clients also go into poverty and never rebound either, but um, that's the other side of it as well, joking right. aside. But right. um, I have had lots of clients call me back and say, Mark, you know what? As bad as it was, uh, this was actually the best thing that ever happened to me uh, but it took me a few years to understand it. So yeah, um, yeah. Find a job you enjoy. Yeah, that's what I say. That's my parting word. That's to you, Heather. Find a job you enjoy. Yeah, Heather. <laughs> I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Yeah. <laughs> Podcast host. Uh, I am loving so can this. Can I go it's drink? Fun. Can I go drink beer now? Is this is this it? Yes, this is it, Mark. Oh, this is exciting. (laughs) This has been another episode of Access to Justice. Thanks for listening or watching, however you have uh, spent this last hour with us. If you have any questions you'd like us to address on the podcast, send an email to accesstojusticepodcast at gmail.com, and we'll do our best to get an answer to you on an upcoming episode. Thanks for listening. Thanks, everyone. 
Any information in this video is general information only and is not, nor is it intended to be, legal advice. Watching this video does not create a lawyer-client relationship. You should always seek the advice of a lawyer or other qualified professional for advice regarding your individual situation. While we take care to ensure that the information contained in this video is accurate and up-to-date, we make no warranties or representations as to the suitability, completeness, or accuracy of the information contained in this video. Any reliance you place on the information is at your own risk. Kahane Law Office, Merrick Law, Heather Mallory Professional Corporation, Evan Clark Professional Corporation, Evan Clark, Heather Mallory, and any guests will not be responsible nor liable in any way for any content, including but not limited to any errors or omissions in the content, or for any loss or damage of any kind incurred as a result of any content communicated in this video, whether by Evan Clark, Heather Mallory, or by a third party. Kim McDonald is a financial advisor with Raymond James Limited. Information provided is not a solicitation, and although obtained from sources considered reliable, is not guaranteed. The view and opinions contained in this media are those of Kim McDonald, not Raymond James Limited. Securities-related products and services are offered through Raymond James Limited, member, Canadian Investor Protection Fund. Insurance products and services are offered through Raymond James Financial Planning Limited, which is not a member, Canadian Investor Protection Fund. Raymond James advisors are not tax advisors, and we recommend that clients seek independent advice from a professional advisor on tax-related matters. Graceful fingers intertwine, comfort gladdens.